Amen. What a great video, a great way to start our message time together. And Adam, thanks for that, that challenge and that reminder. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys this morning? Good morning. So good to be with you. Uh, hello to everyone joined online. Glad that you're with us too, wherever you are at. My name is Andrew, if you don't know me, and I'm really excited to study God's word together. Before we dive into our message together, we just wanted to take a moment and honor and celebrate that this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. You know, this year and all that we've walked through has really challenged us in the way that we value and love each other. We've walked through so much as a culture and a nation, and we just want to honor the profound and beautiful and relevant biblical truth that all life matters to God. Every life matters to God. In Isaiah 64, 8, it says this, Oh, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. God is the creator and sustainer of every life. And so we believe that every person is created in his image. So as a church, we get to value the, the life of the sick, the elderly, those in nursing homes, the life of the poor and the wealthy, insiders and outsiders, the life of the unborn, of babies and children. We get to value and honor the, the lives and the stories of those walking through crisis pregnancies, those who are walking through pregnancy loss and all, all the difficulties and the grief that that brings. We get to stand together with each other and stay as a church in this very divided time that whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. We value you because God values you. So it's just great to get to celebrate that and honor that this morning to value God's gift of life. We'll get to talk a little bit more about that in our passage today. And I'm so excited about this passage that we get to study. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we're in the book of Colossians and we are in the second to last week. So the finish line is in sight. And in my opinion, Paul saves some of the very best for last. Today we shift from the main body of the letter to the conclusion where Paul includes a list of names. Now if you're like me, sometimes when you encounter a list of names in the Bible, you can, your eyes can kind of glaze over. Anyone else like that a little bit? You can sort of speed through genealogies or list of names at the end of Paul's letters. Um, we're, we're tempted to go through it without give, giving them much thought. But these passages are fascinating glimpses into real life ministry in the first century church, and, and they are packed with application for our modern struggles. There's a specific passage, uh, a specific struggle, rather, excuse me, a specific struggle that I think our passage speaks to this morning. It's the struggle of finding purpose. The, the struggle of finding purpose. The other night in our small group, we were sharing our New Year's resolutions over Zoom. Normally you would do that, you know, sitting in a circle and we were going square by square on the computer screen as I'm sure many of you have done in your small groups or, or other meetings. But one of our small group members just shared that he was longing for a deeper sense of purpose this year. That was his goal. And his family, things were going great. His job was going well. And still, he just longed to be part of a, a bigger story, something that was bigger than himself. And so I think all of us at times can struggle to find a sense of purpose. We can also misplace our purpose and make it primarily about us. Uh, just last night, my wife and son came back from a short trip to Indianapolis, and my wife and I were talking in the kitchen and catching up, and my three-year-old came into the kitchen, interrupted us, and said, it's all about me. <laughs> and uh, after explaining to him that it was not all about him, and also wondering where we had gone so wrong as parents, we... Uh, <laughs> 
we, we laugh to ourselves just because we identified with that comment. I mean, so we don't say it out loud, but all of us just struggle to, to not make life primarily all about ourselves. And so I think in the, in the aimlessness of life, sometimes we can struggle to find purpose. In the selfishness of our own hearts, we can misplace our purpose. So this is a difficult challenge. It's a real, it's a real struggle. Today, we're going to be looking at some of the minor characters in the book of Colossians. And I think you and I can relate to that. Sometimes maybe we feel like we are minor characters in the story of God. Maybe you're an accountant and it's hard to connect your job to your faith. Maybe you're a student and you're just drowning in homework and and deadlines. And it's really challenging to incorporate your schoolwork into God's mission. And it's just easy to to make life all about yourself. Maybe you're a mom with young kids and you're just caught up in the day-to-day routine of dirty diapers and getting your kids dressed every single morning and just wonder, does this matter? God, does this, does this matter? Or, or maybe you're a retiree and you're looking for a meaningful outlet for your time and your talents. I once heard it said that every vocation struggles with this question of purpose. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, if you're a plumber, or if you're a parent. Every vocation has this question as, does my time matter? Does my work matter? It's such an important question. It impacts everything, our relationship with God, our families, our schools, our communities, our workplaces. It's so important. So I'm hoping God will use our passage to encourage us in this struggle, help us find a deeper sense of purpose in living for God. We'll be in Colossians uh, 4, 7 to 9. So you can turn there in your Bibles. If, if you have a physical Bible with you, you can go to YouVersion and look the passage up there, Colossians 4, 7 to 9, or at efree.org slash Bible. We have that as well available for you. We'll look at three verses in the book of Colossians and also a short section from the book of Philemon. Now, as you're turning there, our passage today is focused on two names, two names that you might not have heard before, Tychicus and Onesimus. They are not the easiest names to say by a long shot. Here in the room, or even if you're watching online with your family or friends or alone, wherever you're at, would you just say those names with me real quick? Tychicus and Onesimus, one, two, three. Tychicus and Onesimus, kind of challenging to say. You may not have heard of these guys before. When I first studied this passage, when I first started studying this passage, I knew um, next to nothing about them. They may be minor characters in Colossians, but that doesn't mean they're insignificant to God. God had a great purpose for, for these two men, as we'll see, and God was purposeful when he included them in the story of Scripture for us to discover. So as we study what Colossians and and Scripture shows us about these two men, we're going to see three truths about our purpose this morning, three truths that I hope will be helpful and and practical and impactful for you and, and wherever you're at. Let's pray and let's dive into this passage together. God, we trust that you have a purpose for every single one of us this morning. So I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the presence of Jesus who is with us here this morning. God, thank you that you're with us. And and Lord, by just your sovereign purpose and your plan for each of our lives, would you encourage us with this passage this morning? We pray in, in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, hey, let's read our passage in its entirety. This is Colossians 4, 7 to 9. It says this, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Now, this passage is, is pretty brief. That, that's it, just those three verses. And you might be wondering how we'll do an entire sermon on this section of scripture. I was actually wondering that myself when I first read it. You'll, you'll have to trust me that there's a really interesting story here and, and that this story really connects to our, our challenge about finding our purpose. So I'm so excited to look at these verses. Honestly, they have become some of the most interesting and challenging for me as I've studied them. So I really hope they become that for you. Isn't God's word incredible like that? He can just take a passage that we're not even expecting and use it in our lives. It's so cool. So to move forward in our message, the first question we need to ask is who was Tychicus? Well, we get a few important details in this passage. Paul says he'll give a full report to the Colossians about how Paul and his coworkers are doing. Then in verse eight, he says, I am sending him to you. So we at least know that Paul sent Tychicus to the Colossians to give a full report and to encourage them. We should note here that um, we can't be a thousand percent sure of this, but we're pretty certain that Tychicus and Onesimus carried the letter of Colossians to, to the church. These are the only two names of all the names Paul mentions here where he says, I'm sending them to you. So that's pretty good evidence in and of itself. And then also at the end of Ephesians, Paul writes almost the exact same thing about Tychicus. Paul says it in Ephesians 6, I believe it is, hey, I'm sending him to you. He's going to give a full report and he's going to encourage you. Ephesians, uh, Ephesus, and Colossae were fairly close together. And if we look at some maps here, it could kind of bring this part of the passage to life and give us some context. This is the first century world where Paul ministered and where he served. We see modern-day Israel, where Palestine is, modern-day Turkey, where Asia is, Greece, modern-day Greece, where Macedonia is. If we zoom in a little bit, we could see that Ephesus and Colossae weren't that far apart. If we zoom in even further we'll see that they were about 120 miles. So they, they weren't that far apart by any means. And so it makes really good sense just from a, a history and a geographic perspective that Paul would have sent Tychicus and Onesimus probably carrying both Ephesians and Colossians together. Now, back then, there wasn't a universal, easily accessible postal system. If you had something important, you sent it with someone that you really trusted. Um, and so uh, it, it was vital back in that day. It was way more than a run to the post office. This would have been a long journey. We're talking hundreds and possibly even more than a thousand miles. There would have been no modern transportation. You would have been traveling by land and by sea, weather hazards. If what you were carrying was valuable, you could be robbed. And so this was a, a difficult journey. I know Amber and I sent uh, a letter in the post office this Christmas, or actually a package rather, to my aunt who lived in Florida. It was supposed to arrive by Christmas, and it actually arrived New Year's Day, like a, a couple days after that. I don't know if any of you had that experience. There were so many packages that got backlogged this year, and so our package spent 13 days sitting in a storage facility. But man, if it's tough sometimes now to deliver a letter or a package, you can imagine back in the first century that this, this would have been no easy task. 
What was it that qualified Tychicus to to probably most likely play this important role? Well, the description that Paul gives of him, it really fits. In verse seven, he calls him a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. And we might be tempted just to, you know, run past this description, but I think it's significant for us. He's a beloved brother in the Lord, so he's loved by the church. It it is loved by God, and the same is true of us this morning if you're a part of our church and a part of the body of Christ. And then he says he's a faithful helper who serves. The word used here for faithful helper is the word deacon, And this doesn't mean that he was a deacon in exactly the same way that we use that term here at our church, but he was someone who served in the context of the church. And this word deacon just simply means at its most basic form, someone who serves, someone who serves. So you could be a a deacon to a king. You could be a deacon who served in hospitality. You could be a deacon for the church. It's the same word used by Jesus in Matthew 20, verse 6, where he said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Jesus says, if you want leadership, influence, and purpose, the path to get there is service. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. We don't have many details about Tychicus, but what we have paints this picture of a faithful humble, servant-hearted man who, who in the big task and in the little just served God so faithfully. And I think here we see our first truth from this passage about purpose. Our purpose flows from our identity as servants. Our purpose flows from our identity as servants of the Lord. How many of us see ourselves first and foremost as servants of God? There's so many ways that we build our identity right? You know, we tend to think of our our job and maybe our relationships. So maybe you're a father and you work in management. Maybe you're a mom and a principal, a grandma, a grandpa, a child, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or a student. That's kind of how we tend to define ourselves. What if we took all of those identity labels and what if we put them right alongside or even underneath servant of God? What if that's how we thought of ourselves? What, What did that change the way that we, we interacted with others and felt a sense of purpose? What if, what if in our families, we saw ourselves as mom and dad, sons and daughters, and servants of God, first and foremost? What if in our workplaces, we saw ourselves as, as servants of Jesus? Wouldn't that change our focus and our attitude, help us to find a greater sense of purpose? Man, Tychicus was called to serve in the context of the church, but I think it's important for us to note that we could be called to serve God in in any context. There's this family legend from Billy Graham and uh, and his family. As the story goes, Billy Graham and his brother were together, and they saw a plane that was doing sky riding in the sky, riding these big letters in the sky, and it wrote the letters GP, GP. And Billy saw this and took it to be a message from God that meant go preach. And of course, he became an evangelist who impacted thousands, millions even of people. His brother saw the same message and took it as a message from God to mean go plow. And he became a faithful dairy farmer who took over the family's dairy business and honored God with a servant's heart as he ran that business in a way that honored and glorified God. Now, the point of the story isn't that we should look to 
airplanes to give us message from God. And I, I don't think that's probably how Billy Graham and his brother got their calling. I think legend is a good word for that story. But man, it illustrates such an important point. In our culture, we tend to divide things between sacred and secular, spiritual and, and non-spiritual. And that divide just isn't found in the Bible. In Colossians, it says, whatever you do, work at it is working for the Lord. So we could be servants of God wherever he has called us, wherever he's called you, you can be his servant. Application question here, in what area of your life do you need to see yourself as a servant? Maybe it's your parenting, maybe it's your personal life, maybe it's your ministry. You know, maybe you serve here at the church or at a parachurch and in, in subtle ways, ministry can become all about us, can't it? Instead of the people that we're serving. And maybe there, God's calling you to see, see yourself as a servant. You know, Tychicus was known as a faithful servant. He was faithful in the small things, but he had such a big impact. Notice in the next verse, the result of his service. In verse eight, Paul says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Now, this word encourage is so much deeper than we normally think about the word encourage. It's not just a compliment or a brief uplifting remark. Biblical encouragement is deep and it's significant. It involves this idea of exhorting and strengthening and urging. Biblical encouragement brings about the purposes of God in the life of a fellow believer or in a community of believers. And that is what Tychicus did for the Colossians. He encouraged them. Think about all the ways that he would have encouraged them. He would have been living proof of how much Paul cared about them. If you remember back in Colossians 2, 1 through 2, Paul said, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me. As Adam has said a few times in this series, Paul never met the Colossian believers personally. And of course, he couldn't go to visit them because he was in prison when he wrote this letter. And so he sends Tychicus to be the living, breathing encouragement from God that they need. He probably would have shared stories, much like we do at our missions lunches, about the activity of God amongst Paul and his co-workers and the imprisonment that Paul was going through. And this would have encouraged the Colossian believers to stay faithful to God and to struggle for him. For him. I don't know about you, but when missionaries come back to our church or worship leaders come back and share about what God is doing in their lives, it's so meaningful to me. It always encourages me to live for God. And I think the same thing is at work here. Tychicus may be a minor character. He may occupy a small amount of space in the New Testament, but he would have had a major impact on the Colossian church. And I think here we see our second truth about purpose. God's purposes often moves forward through minor characters. God's purposes often move forward through minor characters. God works in the everyday, ordinary Christian life. He works in ordinary assignments like carrying letters and arranging travel and giving ministry reports. He uses ordinary people and ordinary tasks that are done in a godly way. He uses minor characters like us who are trying to be faithful helpers and humble servants. You know, there's a handful of us who have a very public platform on this stage, our pastoral team, our worship leaders, but there is an army of faithful helpers that serve on staff here at First Free that enable all of this 
to happen. By, by my count, in addition to our pastors and worship leaders, there's 35 people on staff who serve God so faithfully and move the mission of God forward. We think of Laura Callis, who served for 25 years here so faithfully. Isn't that incredible and amazing? Yeah, we should applaud her. And to all of you who serve, thank you so much. And it's not even staff, it's our elders, it's our deacons, it's our small group leaders, our care team, our finance team, our Sunday morning community leaders, greeters, ushers, leaders of men's ministry, women's ministry, kid connection, student ministry, celebrate recovery, mops. I mean, I could go on and on. I, there's no way I could even include all of the ministries in our church, but we just wanted to say, if you are a faithful helper, if you serve behind the scenes here at our church, thank you. Thank you for moving forward the mission of God. God uses you. He uses all of us together. Sometime this week, I want you to take a few minutes and write down the five or 10 people who have had the biggest impact on your faith journey. Just take a few minutes and write down who's had a major impact on me. It probably won't be famous personas or, or famous preachers. It will probably be ordinary, everyday people who invested deeply in your life. Man, God uses the minor characters. If you're, if you're struggling with the ordinary life and, and wondering whether you have purpose, don't grow weary or discouraged. Francis Schaeffer wrote this. John Richardson, our pastor of discipleship, has used this quote before, and I just love it. He says, it's there are no little people in God's sight, so there are no little places. To be wholly committed to God in the place where God wants him, this is the creature glorified. Let me just read that again so you can catch all the nuance there. Is there's no little people, there's no little places to be wholly committed to God in the place where God wants him. This is the creature glorified. In other words, this is where we find our purpose, to be wholly committed to God wherever he has us. It's not always easy, it's not, it's not always simple, but we find our purpose in that place. So, so if you're weary this morning in this struggle of finding purpose, don't get discouraged. God has a purpose for you. And as you serve right where he has you, God will reveal that purpose to you. That's part one of our message focused on, on Tychicus. So far, just to kind of review where we've been, we've seen that our purpose flows from our identity as servants and that God's purpose moves forward through the minor characters. Let's turn now to the second part of our, our message, which concerns Onesimus. Who was Onesimus and, and what was his story? We get a few more details in the New Testament on Onesimus, and it's so interesting. Here in verse 9, we don't learn that much. If you look there in your Bibles with me, Paul says, I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. So again, we, we don't learn too much here. We learn that he's faithful, that he's a beloved brother, so he's part of the family of God. Paul says he's one of your own people. This probably means that he is from Colossae. That's most likely what the Greek is referring to there, and that he's gonna go with Tychicus to tell them everything that has happened. Uh, but there's more to, to the rest of the story. Onesimus is mentioned three other times in the New Testament, and all of those occur in the letter to Philemon, the letter to Philemon. Now, man, I wish we had 
um, more time this morning where we could read the entire letter to Philemon and just unpack it verse by verse. I'd encourage you, read Philemon sometime this week. I think it will encourage you. I think it's relevant to what we're going through right now as a culture. It's such an interesting letter. It's only one page long. It's right in between Titus and Hebrews. And because it's so short, many Christians um, may not have read it before or may have just kind of missed it in, in their New Testament. But it is a significant letter. And in it, we get the story of Onesimus. Paul's writing not to an entire church community, though he does mention the entire church, but he's writing primarily to Philemon. And so that's who this letter is addressed to. So it's kind of a unique letter. Um, And as we'll see, he's writing to encourage Philemon to reconcile with a slave named Onesimus. This is almost certainly the same Onesimus that we read in this passage, in our passage rather, in Colossians. And so scholars and, and commentators have wrote hundreds and hundreds of books trying to piece together all the details about Onesimus. And we don't have all of the details in this letter or the New Testament, but we do learn a few really important things. First, we learn that he was a slave and that he'd been separated from Philemon. It's possible that he ran away. Paul even mentions that he may have taken something good running away or that he may owe Philemon uh, labor. Again, we don't get all the details, but we do know that Onesimus was a slave from the book of Philemon. Now, two weeks ago, Adam talked about slavery in a message on Colossians 3, 22 through 25. So if you have questions about what the Bible teaches about slavery, it's such an important question. I'd encourage you, go back and watch that message. It was really good. And Adam went through really thoroughly what the Bible teaches about slavery. We also learned that Onesimus is a new Christian, that he came to faith uh, while Paul was in prison. If you have it on your Bible or on you version, in verse 10, Paul says, I became his father in the faith, Onesimus's father, while here in prison. And so we don't know exactly where this happened. You think about the map that we showed earlier and just the huge extent that Paul traveled in the the ancient world. Somewhere while he was in prison, he encountered Onesimus. God brought Onesimus to him and he became a Christian. I I think just parenthetically, there's a, a small takeaway here. Man, God is guiding in the midst of situations that may feel chaotic and crazy. And as Jason said earlier, man, if you're at a a place where you're hurting right now and life feels crazy, be encouraged. God is still orchestrating his purpose. God's purpose was for Onesimus to meet Paul so that he could become a new believer. And he had a very close relationship with Paul. If you look at verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back to you and with him comes my own heart. Paul cared so deeply about Onesimus. He cared about him so much. If you think for a minute just about our letter in Colossians, Paul is sending Tychicus and Onesimus together. Now, we don't know the timing exactly of Colossians and Philemon, and scholars have really wrestled with this, and they're just not sure when Philemon was written, but it's possible that Paul was sending Tychicus with Onesimus to return to Philemon so that he would have someone to travel with him in the journey. We know that Paul cared about Onesimus and loved him. And we talked earlier about how God uses minor characters. God may have used Tychicus to journey 
with Onesimus and, and this journey of, of, of reconciliation and being returned. It would have been so encouraging for him to have someone with him in that journey. Paul asked Philemon to welcome Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother in the Lord. I want to read verse 15 to 17. This is probably the most important part of this letter. Paul says, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave. He is a beloved brother, especially to me. It's not until verse 16, two-thirds of the way through this letter, that we see the first direct reference to Onesimus being a slave. Paul doesn't primarily see Onesimus as a slave. He doesn't label him as the way that society would label him. He sees him as a beloved brother in the Lord. And so he continues and he exhorts Philemon. He says, now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and, and as a brother in the Lord. So... If you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Wow, welcome him as if you would welcome me. Paul is asking Philemon to see Onesimus as equal to himself. No difference in status, value, or worth. And think of all that could have divided them. They, they were probably from different economic backgrounds as slave and free. They were possibly from different cultural backgrounds. This may have been a relationship that was marked possibly by conflict or by, by betrayal. Paul says, be united as brothers in the Lord. Think back to what Paul wrote earlier in Colossians 3.11, because this illustrates this so beautifully. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. And he lives in each of us. Paul's saying there's a new reality in the kingdom of God and, and it shatters any of the old labels that society places on people that we might use to divide in the church. There's a new reality in the kingdom of God and the family of God. We're equal as brothers and sisters. We're united for the cause of Christ. As members of the same family, we unite to make disciples to share the gospel and to glorify God. And so I, I think we see our third takeaway about purpose here. I think it's relevant to where we're at right now. In the family of God, we have a unifying purpose. Amen? In the family of God, we have a unifying purpose. You know, right now, we're so divided in our country and churches aren't immune from, from the shockwaves of this division. David Brooks wrote an editorial the other day about churches experiencing conflict over everything that's happening right now. We can feel these divisions deeply in our, in our churches, in our families, in our small groups. You know, maybe we look down on a fellow Christian because of their political perspective. Maybe we look down on them because of what they post or don't post on social media. Maybe we're tempted to look down on a whole group of people because of their age or, or because of their, their race or their economic status. Maybe we look at, down at someone because of a past mistake or, or a way that they have really hurt us. You know, either connected to everything that's been happening this year or not. Maybe, maybe there's a serious issue and, and a reconciliation that needs to take place. These divisions are so, so real. I know some of you are feeling them right now. They're painful. But in the family of God, we have a unifying purpose, and our past divisions should yield 
to the importance of our shared purpose. Our past division should yield to our shared purpose. Our unity should lead us to encourage one another and protect each other. You know, right, right now, are, are you standing with other believers? Are you uniting with them for the mission of God? During, during World War II, there was a soldier named Roddy Edmonds and he found himself um, it, probably one of the worst times to go over to, to Europe. He, right as the Nazis were doing a really large invasion to take back lost territory, and kind of a last ditch effort to win the war. And so he was at this fierce battle. He was just immediately captured with about a thousand other Americans and taken into a prison, uh, prison of war camp in Nazi Germany. He was there for a while. He was the highest ranking officer amongst all the prisoners. So he was kind of in charge of the men. And one morning, the Nazi commander issued a command for all of the Jewish American soldiers to report at 6 a.m. the next morning. He said, at 6 a.m., I want every Jewish American soldier to report. And this was such a tricky situation. The Jewish soldiers were placed at a faith of having to de deny their faith, possibly for their own safety. Roddy knew that if no soldiers reported, they would probably just pick random soldiers and, and take them. And he, he knew that they were likely going to be taken to other more dangerous work camps where they, where they could possibly be killed or, or just killed on the spot. And so he agonized over what to do about the situation. And he prayed and he sought God and he felt like the Lord laid a plan on his heart and he communicated it to the other officers. And then they communicated it by the, the grace of God to every soldier in the camp. And so the next morning at 6 a.m. when the call went forth for the Jewish soldiers to come forward, every single soldier stepped forward and stood with their Jewish brothers. Isn't that incredible? As the story goes, according to eyewitness testimony, this is in the book, No Surrender. It's a, it's a great book if you want to read it. The Nazi commander approached Roddy and held a gun to his head said, only the Jewish soldiers, only the Jewish soldiers. And they went back and forth for a little bit. And eventually he said, we are all Jews. It's not a powerful thing to say. Can you imagine a thousand soldiers standing together in the freezing cold under the threat of punishment and death and just say, we're in this together. We are equal. We're gonna stand together. Man, it was a powerful moment of unity based on a shared purpose. Friends, what if at this moment, what if right now in the church, we stood together as brothers and sisters in Christ? What if Christian Republicans and Christian Democrats stood together and said, we are all Christians? What if they had meaningful, gracious, biblically informed conversations about policy because it's so important for, for the direction of our country? But then what if they united in common purpose and just said together, we are gonna serve the cause of Christ because we need each other. Do you imagine the kind of impact that would have right now on a watching world? What if here in this body of believers, we stood with members who we disagree, members who just, to be honest, sometimes annoy us or, or get on our nerves, or maybe even members who have actually hurt us deeply? What if we were reconciled? What if we said, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're gonna serve together for the sake of the gospel. Man, I believe that God has called First Free to be united for such a time as this. And I think we're doing a great job of that as a church, but we want to do that more and more. In these days ahead, we want to keep doing that together. I, I firmly believe with all my heart that God has brought this specific family together for such a time as this.
in our community, in our world. And I'm so excited about what God is gonna do through this church for his mission. As, as believers, we do not stand united under the banner of any one political party or social movement or, or agenda. We stand united under the banner of grace. We stand forgiven by Jesus Christ through his sacrifice on the cross. At the very end of Philemon, there's a little detail that I think is important. Paul says, hey, if he owes you anything, I myself will repay it. But Philemon, don't forget that you owe me your very soul. What he means there is, is that Philemon probably came to Christ through Paul's ministry. And so the same way that Onesimus may be in debt to Philemon, Philemon is in debt to Paul, but not only to Paul, ultimately to the Lord, ultimately to, to Jesus who, who died for him, who gave all for him on the cross. And so Paul is just drawing to his attention to this fact that Philemon, Jesus gave everything for you. Doesn't that impact the way that you should treat Onesimus? Doesn't that impact the way that, that we should see our purpose? Friends, we were the, the enemies of God, yet Jesus died for us. Jesus, Jesus died for us. Shouldn't we give our all for, for his purposes? Our worship team is gonna come and lead us in, in one final song, Amazing Grace. And, and this message of, of grace in the gospel, this is our banner. This is what we unite together to serve. It's our purpose. As, uh, as, as we pray here, or before we pray rather, I wanna just put our three truths back on the screen for just a moment. Take a minute and ask God if there's one of these that he wants you to wrestle with, that he wants you to apply, that he wants you to think about. Maybe even as we're praying, as we're singing, God will lay a specific action step on your heart, something that you could do this week connected to your purpose. And it flows from our identity as servants and moves forward excuse me, it moves forward through the minor characters and in the family of God. We have a unifying purpose. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your purpose and your plan given to us through Jesus. God, thanks for Jesus in the cross for what, what he did for us. You, you didn't have to come. You didn't have to die. We were rebels against you, God. And yet you laid down your life so that we could be reconciled in relationship to you. Thank you for doing that. Help our church, our ministries, all that we do, God, be about testifying to that grace. Would that be our uniting purpose? Um, God, I pray specifically over situations where people may be hurt, where people may desperately need you to come and just minister to their hearts so that there could be healing, so that there could be reconciliation. God, would you do that in and amongst us? And we, we lift up Wednesday to you, God, as we, we as a church have an opportunity to pray and to fast together. Would we be faithful in joining in with that so, so that you can work? God, we believe it matters. We believe it matters. So God, thank you so much for your, your amazing grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.